0: The Tanya of Rabbi Schneur Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. We're page
1: 711. 711. And he started explaining how creation is the ultimate act of love of Hashem, it's the ultimate act of selflessness. For Hashem to create, creation comes about through self forgetfulness. Hashem has to contract himself, remove himself so to speak, forget himself, and create a space that enables us and allows us to be created. And he started speaking in great depth more so than he explained previously in the Tanya how how even Hashem's infinite light how creation how does creation come about how do you get from finite from infinite to finite so not only Hashem himself God's essence it's not only infinite, God's essence is undefined, has no beginning, not only has no end, it's infinite, it has no beginning, it's undefined. So all of creation cannot even come directly from God's essence, so to speak, it can only come from God's emanation, God emanates from within himself. Just like the sun emanates light, the light of the sun is not the sun itself, it emanates from the sun. It's the energy that's connected to the source, emanates from the source, and the sun gives off light. So too, creation comes about because of the emanation that God emanates from within himself. A, for A light, an energy. Just like the light of the sun, however, just like the light of the sun reflects the sun itself. It reveals the sun, it's connected to the sun. Everything it has is from the sun. It can't be for one moment without the sun. It has nothing other than the sun, whatever the sun, therefore the properties of the light are a reflection of the orb of the sun. The sun is a a nuclear fusion, and therefore the sun gives off light and heat and energy. Rays of the sun. So too, God emanates from within himself. God projects from within himself the infinite light, so we're talking about godliness, it's a reflection, it's a ray, it's a reflection from God himself. So, so therefore, the infinite light of God is also infinite. But unlike the sun, the sun has no choice in the matter. God, however, has a choice. God willingly chose that he should emanate from within himself a light, a reflection of God but he's not defined by the choice, he's not limited to that choice, he can choose not to emanate from within himself. But God chose to emanate from within himself his infinite light. But even this infinite light, which the Kabbalists refer to as the Ein Saf, the infinite, people refer to, when the Kabbalah, when the Kabbalah refers to the Ein Saf, the infinite light, they're not referring to God, his essence. Even... When we say the light of the infinite Ur er, ein the light of the infinite the infinite here is not referring to hashem because you can't call god by any name you can't even call him infinite he's infinite he has no end he has no beginning he's infinite he's undefined he's neither infinite nor finite you can't you can't begin to describe or to define god so when we say ein er, sof the Kabbalah is filled with the description of Ori and This description of Ori and Sav is referring to the light. That God's light is infinite. It's not referring to God. It's, it's a, we're referring, we're describing the light. God's infinite light, this light that emanates from God. And the closest physical analogy, everything in this world is just here to give us an analogy to help us understand how it relates to the source. Just like the relationship of the light of the sun to the sun. The sun is not giving of itself, of its substance. It's not like when you draw water from the reservoir, you're taking from the substance of the reservoir. The reservoir is water and you're taking a drop of water. You've taken away from the reservoir. The reservoir now is lower by a drop of water. Maybe it's an insignificant part, but it's a part. The reservoir is made up of many drops. Zillions of drops, but I took away one drop. The reservoir is is less. With the light of the sun, it doesn't work that way. It's not that the sun gives off light and now the sun gave a piece of itself, the sun is less, is diminished. The orb, the intensity, the heat of the orb is less because it gives off light. No, it doesn't work that way. So light is a very helpful analogy. It comes to teach us to show us that there is something in this world that it gives off light and it doesn't take away, it doesn't affect its it source. The source is not affected by it. It gives off, but it's not giving off a piece of itself. It's connected. It's the source and yet it's not giving a piece of itself. It remains unaffected. So this is an analogy that the infinite light which is godliness it's the godly energy and the the God chose to emanate from within himself a reflection of himself which is infinite and godly. But it's the source God's essence remains unaffected by the light. It's not like God is giving a piece of himself into the light. No. God remains completely unaffected by the light. Therefore, the entire universe, the entire world that's created by this infinite light, doesn't affect God himself. God remains unaffected. It's not, God is not like a teacher. When a teacher teaches, the teacher is involved in the student. He's engaged in the student. He's affected by the act of teaching. He's affected. He gets engaged. He's involved. He has to think about what he's going to say before he gives the class. And then when he gives the class, he has to gauge the students, and he's talking to the students, and by explaining it to the students and getting into their level, he's affected by it. And then he has to gauge how they received it. He's affected by it. You can't say he remains unaffected. But the creation of the world, God remains unaffected. The prophet says, "Ani Hashem I remain unchanged by this whole creation. God remains unaffected by creation. It's not like God is the great master, the great master teacher, and God is affected by creating, investing his brilliance into this world, and investing his wisdom, and investing his uh, his capacity. God is affected by the act of creation. He's affected by us. God is not affected. How is it possible for God not to be affected? If he's so involved, he's constantly creating us. And the answer is because God chose to emanate from within himself this, this light, this infinite light. Just like the sun gives off light and the sun remains unaffected by the light, so too this infinite light, this divine godly light that God emanates from within himself. He's the source. But this light, the, the, the source, God's essence remains completely unaffected, unmoved, untouched by this whole experience. So the whole creation comes from, this, comes from the infinite light. From the divine energy that God chose to emanate from within himself but even this light is too much because just like the light of the sun is a reflection of the sun whatever the sun has is reflected in the properties of light because the sun is a, has nothing other the light of the sun is nothing other than the sun has nothing else but the sun whatever the sun has, that's what the light has and the light reflects the sun So God's infinite light that God chose to emanate from within Himself also reflects God. So just like God is undefined and infinite and has no beginning, the light also is infinite. So therefore, how do you get from infinite to finite? The infinite light is too intense. There could be no room. There's no room for any existence other than God. like you look at the sun it's too bright you look at the sun you can't look you can't see it's too bright it's too intense so how is it possible to look at the sun you need a cover up you need a screen you need sunglasses you need something to screen the light otherwise this light is too intense so this is the idea of tzimtzum that God had to screen himself and here we're talking about the first symptom, there are many little symptoms but the ultimate symptom God had to completely remove himself because like he's going to explain here, the infinite light even if you screen you can screen it once and again and again, even after infinite gradations ultimately it's still a reflection of the infinite If you have a reflection of the infinite, there's no room, there's no space for anything to exist outside of God, other than God. You would still sense all there is as God, there's nothing else but God. So there's no room for anything to exist, there's no room for the world, there's no room for ego, for self, for anything finite, for anything limited, for anything defined. All you would sense is Godliness. Therefore there had to be a radical leap, a quantum leap, a radical shift. God had to completely hide himself. It's like Einstein. Einstein wants to communicate to his students. Simple students. How is Einstein? His brilliant mind. How is he going to communicate with his students? He opens his mouth and they're lost. They have no clue what he's talking about. He's talking about such lofty ideas. And they can hardly grasp. They can't even begin to grasp what he's talking about. And even if Einstein will try to... His mind is so not on their level that He would just overwhelm them and he would crush them. He would destroy them. Not only wouldn't he be a good teacher, not only wouldn't he be productive, if you overwhelm your students, if you teach them something that they can't handle, you destroy them. So Einstein has to completely remove himself from his own shoes and put himself in the shoes of his students. He has to stop being Einstein, he has to make a radical leap. He has to enter into the minds of his students. It's so foreign to him. It's so alien to him. The mind of his students. Is, there's no relationship between his mind and their mind. He's operating in a different dimension. But as a good teacher, he has to make a radical leap. He has to completely remove himself. Stop thinking like he thinks. Because if he thinks, continues to think like he thinks, even with all the parables and all the similes and all the analogies, it's still, you're still on the level of Einstein. He still can't communicate with his students. He'll just overwhelm them and destroy them. That's what happened in college. When they had all these quotas and imposed all these artificial quotas in colleges, they put people in positions and they destroyed them. Because if you put a person to college and he's not ready for college, just to fill some quota or to, to, make your, to appease your conscience... You're not doing the, you're not doing, you, you may feel good about it, but you're not doing the person any favor. You destroy them. You put them in an environment where they're completely un, not ready. It's like taking a child who graduated from first grade. I want to be nice to them. So I'm going to elevate them to fourth grade. You think you're doing them any favors? You'll destroy them. You'll destroy their ability to learn for the rest of their life. You'll destroy their mind because you're taking them to a level they can't understand. It's totally beyond them. And then... You destroy their ability to learn. You have to be able to learn on your level to absorb it and grow confidently, step by step. So, if Einstein still continued to think on his own level and he would try to communicate with his students, he would lose them. He would destroy them. So, Einstein has to completely forget about himself, forget about Einstein, and put himself in the shoes of his students and start thinking like that and then he can start communicating his ideas on their level so that's the first step that's what God did the first step the first symptom. this is the symptom that the Arizal talks about this is the revolution of the Kabbalah of the Arizal Rabbi Isaac Gloria, the greatest Kabbalist that ever lived the Einstein of Kabbalah that in order for God to create the world so first he desired to emanate from within himself a light just like the sun gives off light so God so to speak emanates from within himself a light a reflection of himself an infinite light an infinite energy a reflection of himself divine light but even this light is too infinite too dazzling it would just overwhelm us it would leave no room for existence it would completely destroy us. There would be no separation from God, nothing separate from God. No sense of separation, no sense of I, no sense of ego. We will be completely nullified within our source. So how do you get from the infinite to the finite? From the stuff, from the infinite light to something finite? So God had to make a radical leap. Simpsen. Completely hide himself, so to speak completely remove himself, so to speak, not literally, but completely remove himself, so to speak, that we don't sense his presence, completely don't sense his presence, and then that created a space, that created a space that then he emanated from within, from the infinite light, he emanated a ray of light, a limited light. And even that limited, that ray of light that he emanated from his infinite self into this space that he created, even that light was too much. So that light had to be screened and screened from one level to the other until he created the different worlds: the higher worlds, the world of Kepta, the world of Adam first, the world of Adam Kadman, primordial man, and then the world of Ketta, the crown, and then the world of emanation, and the ten spheres. And then the world of creation. And then the world of formation. And the world of action. And the world of angels. And the souls. But all of this came from one gradation to the other. One screening. So these are the tzimtzumim. The mirei, the infinite amount of tzimtzumim. But these tzimtzumim was taking from this light and going from gradation to gradation. Screening it from one level to another level. Enabling, allowing for something finite. So to get from the infinite to the finite, the only way is through tzimtzum. And that's basically what we started discussing the other week. And this act of selflessness, this act where God completely removed himself, as the ultimate act of love. That God loves us so much that he completely removed himself just in order to enable us to exist. And why did God enable us to exist? Just like in the analogy of Einstein. The ultimate purpose is that Einstein wants to communicate his ideas to these simple students. That they should grasp the same idea that he's grasping. But in order to get there, the way to do it is first he has to completely remove himself. Then he has to find the language to speak in their level. And then... Once the students are able to grasp the concept and he's communicating with them and he's not, instead of destroying them, he's giving them the confidence and they are able to grow, to absorb the idea and think about the idea and grow with this idea, take this idea and run, then, says after 40 years, you're able to finally figure out the mind of your teacher. After 40 years of studying, finally, the mind of the student and the mind of the teacher merge. But had Einstein started out that way, he would have overwhelmed them and destroyed them. But once he goes through this whole process of complete self-forgetfulness, and he puts himself in their shoes, and he speaks in their language, and he concentrates his whole idea into their world, into a way that in a language that they can handle, grasp. And if they sit and meditate on this concept and study it intelligently for the next 40 years, they're slowly but able to strip away all the externals and finally they're able to get the concept. Ah, now I get it. Now I understand where Einstein's coming from. Now finally I'm able to see the same thing that my teacher is able to see. So now the student and the teacher merge. The mind is able to understand the same concept. So too, this is the ultimate act of love. God completely forgot about himself, so to speak. Simps, removed himself. To create that empty space, to create that space that enables us to exist. What's the point? Because now that we have a sense of self, Healthy sense of self. And now, when we, for the last few thousand years, have been absorbing the Torah and learning the Torah and doing the mitzvahs and absorbing and becoming one with godliness, thousands of years of absorbing and studying diligently and enthusiastically and doing the mitzvah and becoming one, now, and that's the world of Mashiach. Now, then we're able to finally see the picture. Then we're able to see, we're able to work our way back to the infinite light, to Hashem's point of view. Now we're able to, once again, when Mashiach will come, God's infinite light will fill all of the world. This empty space will be filled, suffused. This physical world will be suffused with the infinite light, with the intense revelation of godliness. And it won't destroy us. On the contrary will remain intact, will remain whole, and we will be suffused with a sense of Godliness. This is, that's why Mashiach, the prophet, uses the analogy, Mashiach will come, the knowledge of God will flood the world, just like the ocean floods the ocean bed. Just like the ocean floods the ocean bed. Underneath the ocean, you have peaks, You have valleys, you have mountains, you have a whole universe underneath the ocean, but it's completely covered, you look at the surface, all you see is water, you don't see what's going on underneath the ocean, underneath the ocean is very colorful, there's life and there's diversity and there's a whole, you have everything under the ocean, you have huge mountains and valleys and peaks, you have everything going on, but you don't see it, all you see is the ocean, so too, Mashiach. The world will be flooded with the knowledge of God, with godliness. But that knowledge won't destroy the world. The world will remain. It will remain human, and there will be mountains, and there will be peaks, and there will be valleys, and this is all colorful life. But the whole world will be suffused. The flood of knowledge will be suffused like the ocean covers the ocean bed without destroying the ocean bed, but it's suffused and covered by it. So too the whole world will be permeated with godliness. That we will retain our individuality, will retain our finiteness, our humanity. We won't be completely nullified before God and cease to be human. We'll retain our humanity and our individuality and personality and character. And yet, our whole being will be suffused with a sense of Godliness. That there's no other reality but God. Now, God couldn't start out that way. He would have started out with that awareness could have destroyed us. He wouldn't even give us the possibility of being separate. Because when godliness is revealed, it destroys any possibility of any sense of self or independence. So God had to completely, and this is the ultimate act of love of God, the ultimate act of kindness. God completely removed himself to enable us to exist, not to destroy us. And he created the world. And he allowed us to grow step by step, slowly but surely. Doing a mitzvah, studying Torah, bringing a little more godliness into our life, internalizing a little more godliness, absorbing a little more godliness. And now after thousands of years of the accumulation of absorbing and studying diligently, now we're finally ready to receive this intense revelation without being destroyed on the contrary. It's, it, we can absorb it, we can receive it, be strengthened by it, and only uplift it. Until we, become, till we merge with God. We're able to internalize it. So this is the ultimate act of love of God. And that's, that's what he's going to explain in chapter 48 and chapter 49. That if you realize how God loves us, how much He cares about us, how much... He identifies with us. Like he said earlier, God is not called the God of Angel Michael, Michal, or the God of Angel Gabriel, Gabriel, or the God of Ab- Angel, the Angel Rafa. God doesn't associate his name with angels. But God associates his name with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob and every single Jew says when you make a blessing you do a mitzvah Baruch HaTorah Hashem He's our God Elokai my God God associates Himself with each and every one of us not with the angels with us He's attracted to us He loves us He cares about us and He married us at Sinai and He took us out of Egypt personally and He took us into His innermost chamber it's going to explain it's not just the Jewish soul it's the Jewish body God is married to the Jewish body he chose the Jewish body he's intimate with the Jewish body the Jewish body is holy it's not like another body it's not like another so when you realize the love how much God loves us and he married us, and he chose us, and he's intimate with us, and he named himself, and he, rem- and he went through this whole process of totally removing himself, the ultimate act of love. He sacrificed himself just in order to enable us to have this relationship and appreciate this relationship and to grow step by step until we're able to absorb and internalize the infinite light. How can we help ourselves but reciprocate God's love for us God loves us we can't help but love God in return and if it means a little sacrifice of course God can sacrifice himself for us so to be Jewish means you have to sacrifice what's the big deal God sacrifices for us he sacrificed himself and removed himself completely just for our sake he loves us so much that's human nature someone loves you you can't help but love him in return God is ready to sacrifice much. What are the sacrifices that God is asking us to do? If we need a little sacrifice in our daily lives, so we'll sacrifice. So, and it's an act of, it's a, it's a labor of love. It's an act of love. God sacrifices for us, we'll sacrifice men. So when you realize this, this really, if everything that we learned till now is not strong enough to help a Jew do the right thing these two chapters should do it (laughs) chapter 48 to 49 because when you realize how Hashem associates himself with us identifies with us and he says I am your God and you are mine you belong to me and I'm intimate with you and and God sacrificed himself for us then how could I not be Jewish I mean, being Jewish means so much God is married to us this is, and this is the essence this is everything so I'll make a sacrifice but in order to truly appreciate it he's going to delve in depth in this whole idea of Tzimtzum how creation comes about this is the revolution of the Kabbalah especially the Ariza. That unlike the classical understanding of creation that creation is self-expression and he says, no, creation, marriage, relationship is not based on self-expression a healthy relationship is based on self-forgetfulness in order to have a healthy relationship the more egotistical a person is the less successful your marriage will be the less egotistical a person is the more self-forgetful you are the more you forget about yourself the more successful your marriage will be. Marriage is about self-forgetfulness. It's not self-expression. Self-expression is nice, but self-expression, marriage is the moment you forget about yourself. It's not you don't make yourself married. You can love yourself from today till tomorrow. You can't marry yourself. (laughs) You You can go to therapy for a thousand years. At the end of the road, you still won't find marriage. Marriage, is, uh, you know, the therapy is about me. Marriage, you have to forget for one moment, forget about me. It's not about me. You don't make yourself married. It's someone else who chooses to love you and to take care of you and to be with you for the rest of your life. That person makes you married, So, and vice versa. So marriage is when you forget about yourself. And that's the key to successful marriage. It's not about self-expression, icing on the cake. It's nice to have a marriage partner it would add to my life what can you do for me how will you add to my life that's not marriage that's business It's icing on the cake that's not marriage marriage is not a trophy marriage is marriage is like Hashem that's the role model of marriage Hashem marriage is based on symptoms creation is based on self forgetfulness creation is not self expression marriage is not self expression Marriage is self-forgetful. And the more self-forgetful we are, the less egotistical we are, the more successful we'll be, and vice versa. And we learn this from Hashem. And this is a revolutionary approach to marriage. It's a revolutionary approach to how we approach our fellow Jew. Because again, there are some people who approach love your fellow Jew that's self-expression. In order for me to be a perfect person, I have to be a humanitarian. It has to be part of my credentials. You know, I'm a broad-minded person. <laughs> and a broad-minded person has to care about other people. But woe to the person who doesn't want my help. <laughs> woe to the poor person who doesn't need my help, who doesn't want my help. They turn them viciously. Because it's not about you, it's about me. I need you, you're my prop. I need you to show how humanitarian. There were many people who were against racial quotas. Many of the beneficiaries were against it because they say you're insulting us. People will think that the only reason I got into college is because of my color. I want to get into college based on merit, not because and, oh, whoa, the viciousness, the hatred that they had to those people who dare refuse your, their kindness. I'm liberal and I'm kind and you're rejecting my kindness? Yeah. The fury of hell... <laughs> You don't know the you don't know the meaning of fury. How dare you refuse my offer of kindness? Because it's not about you. Don't you get it? I don't I couldn't care less about you. It's me. I am a humanitarian. A humanitarian has to care. And if I care about people, I'm gonna give this to you whether you like it or not, whether you want it or not, whether you need it or not. (laughs) This is the ultimate selfishness. This is not what love your fellow drew like yourself is. You're my prop you're my project, I have to show that I'm a loving, so God, you see, I also love other people. Then I, I really don't need, you're, you're just a prop. You're just here for my soul. It's about me, it's not about you. But creation is about self-forgetfulness. Hashem says it's not about me, it's about you. Marriage says it's not about me, it's about you. Love your fellow Jew like yourself says it's not about me, it's about you. Can I help you? It's a merit for me to help me. If, if, I don't, if you don't accept my help, Mazel you don't need my help. Good for you. If I'll have the merit, the help will come through me. And if not, then probably I didn't merit. It's a whole different approach. This is the Hasidic approach. It's selfless. It's egoless. It's not about ego. It's not about me, myself, I. It's a genuine approach. It transformed, it radically transformed your whole approach to love your fellow Jew like yourself. Your whole approach to marriage. Your wife is not a prop. It's, it's a real relationship. We're not props to God. God has kindness and he needs us to express his kindness. That's the simple classical understanding, totally inadequate understanding of creation. Because what it says is, we're nothing. We're nobodies, we're nothing. God really, he just needs us as a nice prop. God, it's all about God. God wants to express himself. his creative self, He's expressing his creative ability. And we're just in the receiving end because he needs, he needs a player to act it out on. So what they're saying is, you're nobody. You're nothing, you're nothing. And you're just dear for me. But that's not the message of creation. The whole message of creation. The revolution of the Arizal. It's so subtle, it's so refined, it's so profound. The message of that Ezel says, no, it's not about me, it's about you. Creation is all about you, not about me. Total self-forgetfulness. God completely removed himself, it's about you. To enable you, and I need you. God says, I need you. You're doing me a favor, if you don't, because if you don't choose to marry me, I'm not married. Why did God create the world? wanted to get married even if you're God you can't marry yourself (laughs) even if you're perfect in God so this is a whole different a whole approach a whole different approach so when you realize that the whole creation is based on sins on God removing himself sacrificing himself and it's not about God it's about us then we can't help but reciprocate and love God in return. So now we're going to start elaborating on this whole idea of Tzimtzum, that how do we get from the infinite light, even the light, the ory self which refers to the light, not Hashem Himself, the infinite light that God chose to emanate from within Himself. Even this infinite light is too infinite. How do you get from there to a finite world? So there had to be a symptom, a radical symptom, in order to create from this infinite light, a finite light, so to speak, a light that could be... And even that light is too intense. Even that light had to be further... um, had to go through gradations, had to be screened and again, screened again and again and again, in order to create a finite world, a world of angels, a world of souls, the finite world of comprehension, the ability to comprehend godliness... And until we reach this physical material world so now he's going to go deeper into the whole idea of symptom. we are on page 711
0: now as for the intricate details of the contractions how they achieve their effect and what they actually are, this is not the place for their explanation but in general they are something in the nature of an obscuring and concealment of the flow of light and vitality, so that the light and vitality should illumine and reach the lower creatures in a revealed manner, pervading them and acting in them and animating them in such a way that they exist ex nihilo.
1: Okay, it seems like a contradiction. You just read that the light is hidden and concealed, does not reach the lower creatures... But then you said it pervades them, acting in them and animating them. Does it reach the lower creatures or it doesn't reach the lower creatures? First you said it doesn't reach the lower creatures. So that the light should, um, they're hidden, the light is hidden. It obscures the light, it conceals the light. That it should not, so the light should not illuminate. And reach the lower creatures in a, in, a, in a revealed manner. He should say, should not illuminate. He's missing the word not. Okay. Uh, should not illuminate. Yeah, a big difference. Should not illumine and reach the lower creatures in a revealed manner. And then he continues, pervading them and acting them and ad- animating them in such a way they exist ex nihila. If he's completely hidden and concealed and he does not illuminate and does not reach them, how does he am- animate and create them? The answer is that it's two different things. He could pervade them, act in them and animate them and yet be totally concealed. Because take life. We all feel, we all sense that we're alive. But we don't sense the godliness, the divinity of life. We know that we're alive. We feel the energy. We all love energy. We want energy. We want to be alive. We want to be energetic. We want to feel vital and full of energy, pumped up with energy. We feel that we're alive. We feel that we have energy. You look at the tree. You see a, a life. The tree grows. There's a life. There's a movement. Organic. You see an animal. An animal is roving. An animal roams. An animal is alive. A human being is alive the imagination is fired up constantly wondering and thinking and figuring things out and we're alive and we love to be alive so we sense that we're alive so the energy does pervade us it activates us it creates us it's within us the energy is within us it moves within us and we sense the energy and yet it's completely hidden and concealed it's not illuminated because although we feel alive but there's a disconnect a total disconnect we don't feel that the, that the life is divine. The truth is that life is a miracle. Life comes from within. All the scientists in the world can create the life of a, uh, of a fly. Life is a miracle. Life is divine. It comes from within. But we don't sense the divinity of life. We look at life and we're like blind, deaf, and dumb. Oh, we're alive? Oh, really? Yeah, okay. Let's go back to sleep. You're alive. What do you mean? You know what? Life? The miracle of life? If we were a sane society, everyone would be running to the maternity wards after work. They would make stadiums around the, the maternity wards. People would just come to watch the miracle of life. It's the greatest miracle, most astonishing miracle. It happens every day. Instead, we build stadiums around adults standing with sticks and balls. It's it's just it's just an insane world. We just you know we have everything upside down because we don't make the connection between the divinity. Of life. We don't realize the miracle of life. We're looking at it. We're staring it in the face. We see it. And, ah, uh, okay, what else? We just, there's a total disconnect. There's no greater hiddenness. While the energy pervades us, is within us, and activates us, and creates us, and sustains us, and we sense the energy, and yet there's a total disconnect. There's no, We don't sense the miracle. We don't sense the divine We don't sense the whole thing is astonishing, and explicable. It's from within, it's godly. It's not external, it's not a mechanical event, it's not a machine. Life is not a machine. Machines you put together, you know, it's a mechanical event. You force, you force the wheels to move. It's not alive. But something to be alive, to see a shoot, an offshoot, to start to take root and to grow in front of your eyes, life developing. You see a little baby grow, it's, it's just astonishing. You see yourself grow, and, but, but we, don't, we, don't, we don't get excited. There's a disconnect. So this is the idea of Tzimtzum, that God hides and conceals his life while he's within us, and while he's activating us, and creating us, and sustaining us, and we feel the energy, and we're like completely blind, deaf, and dumb, and we don't sense the divinity, the miraculous, the, the spectacular, the, the miracle. This is the Tzimtzum. God has the ability to hide. God is God that hides very well. He plays a good game of hide and seek. He wants us to seek. The point of the hiding is not to remain in hiding. The <laughs> point of the hiding is we should be wise enough to seek him out. To start questioning, to start wondering. You know, the Jews were, the Jews were chosen to be the investigative reporters. He left us enough clues If you're curious, if you open your mind, you left us enough clues. You know, this doesn't make sense. Scientists doesn't have an answer for this, and they can't explain that. And this explanation is inadequate. And Enough clues to figure out, wait wait a minute, there's something going on here. (laughs) This is a conspiracy. There's something going on here. This is a lot deeper going on than meets the eye. This is all divine. This is all miraculous. This is spectacular. This is astonishing that there is existence altogether, that there's life. Do you know the chances of life existing in this world? Mathematically it's impossible for everything to be so perfect. The molecules and water and air. Mathematically, the chances of life existing in this world mathematically is off the charts. I mean the the, the number doesn't even, you know, we don't even I, what to call that number. It's beyond trillions zillions the chances of everything being so perfect mathematically is almost an impossibility. That's why there's a scientist, a scientist that wrote that there's, it's impossible to have life anywhere else in the universe because life like this, the chances mathematically, physical life, it, it's a miracle. so But we take it for granted. But if you really open your eyes and you think about it, it's an astonishing miracle that everything is so perfect and that we exist and life is able to flourish. And God left enough clues. If you're only honest and open, you can figure it out. But he wants us to figure it out. It should be our discovery. He wants our name on, 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 the, on the story. He <laughs> wants your, your name. You should own the story. You know, it's your discovery. You figured it out and you realized and you opened your eyes and you revealed, uncovered the, the truth. So it's waiting to be peeled away. It's waiting to be uncovered. But you have to uncover it. You have to lift up the blanket. You have to uncover it. <laughs> so this is the idea of Timson. Have He hid the light... And the light, the energy, it pervades us, it's acting in us, it animates us, and yet it's completely covered up, it's not illuminated, it's not revealed. What is revealed, continue, and only
0: in only an extremely minute measure, so that they be in a state of finitude and limitation. Were their life force to be revealed within them, they would be infinite contraction ensures that the light and vitality which is their life force remains concealed from them. All that is revealed is but a minute degree of light and vitality.
1: So were it to be revealed, then the world as we know it could not exist. Because the world would not be finite. If we were to sense the divine energy, if we were to sense the godly energy... Then it would not be limited. The life force would not be limited. But now, all there is is a minusc- minuscule, the tiniest expression of life. Whether in the stone, it's the least expression of life. The stone exists, that's about it. In the organic life, there's a higher form of life. It stands still in one place, but at least it grows. Unlike the stone, then you have animal life. Animals don't stand still. If you coop up animals in the in the zoo, it's very painful for them. They have to recreate that environment. The animal of nation has to roam around. That's why cruelty to animals. Many of these slaughterhouses, they, they coop up the animals and keep them in pens and treat them treat them horribly. And this is for an animal this is very painful. Animal has to, a living creature has to be able to roam freely. Rome, eat the grass, you know. And, um, and for a human being to live like an animal. If a human being grew up in the wild and lived like an animal, that would be painful for a human being. A human being has a mind, has imagination. A human being has to think, has to learn, has to study, has to question, has to be inquisitive, has to wonder. Because every life force, it's a higher form of life, a higher expression of life. And every life force, if you try to limit it to a lower life force, that's very painful. You know, we're about to celebrate Pesach. Today is R- uh, Rosh Chodesh Nisan, two weeks before Pesach. And that this is the idea of the exodus. The idea of the exodus of freedom is freedom is everyone on their own level. You know, what's considered freedom for plant life or organic life is not freedom for an animal life. What's considered freedom for an animal life is not considered freedom for, for a human life. What's considered freedom for human life is not considered freedom for a Jewish life. Everyone on their own level. If you're not fully expressing all your potential, you're not fully activating and igniting and in touch with your core, with your essence, then you are not free. So all these different levels of life force starting with the inorganic with the stone which is the least form of life there's, there's no form of life other, other than the, that the stone exists there's no movement there's no growth there's no um, so all of this came about because of the Timtum. as a result of the Timtum, it enabled just the smallest minutest expression of life and you have the different tim-tum, and you have the different categories of existence the different levels of life force that's revealed so had had their life force been revealed to them, the infinite, then we would all be infinite we would not have any of these any of these limitations. The reason why we're so limited and and defined is because the life force has been completely concealed. you know it's like the today they're they're working on on stem cells, you know the stem cells are the original cells from which all the other cells of the body, all the organs and limbs of the body, are, come from the stem cells. And stem cell therapy, they can get the stem cells to recreate those limbs and those organs. Later on in adulthood, once your limbs are already formed and your organs are already formed, then the cells are very rigid. You can't change an arm to a heart, a heart to a liver, even though they all come from the same place. They all started out with the stem cell. But the stem cells, once the stem cells is formed and formulated, then it becomes very defined and very rigid. A liver is a liver and a heart is a heart. But if you go back to the origin, in its purest form, when the, the cells were, just had raw potential, it could be anything. This stem cell can turn into a heart and can turn into a liver and can turn into its raw potential. So when you look at the infinite, the infinite light, you can't limit it, you can't define it. The infinite is is full of potential, it it could be anything. At what point did everything in this world become so rigid and defined? Everything has its nature, a stone is a stone, a tree is a tree, an animal is an animal, a person is a person, just like within the person Uh, uh, themselves, Nails are nails, here are here, every organ in, in the body has its own unique characteristic and you can't change one from the other. Once they're formed, they're formed. They're set. It's rigid. Because the original power, the original power is hidden and concealed. Were the original power to be revealed, then it would not, not have any limitation. Because in its original form, it has no, it has no, it's undefined, it's infinite. It could be this, it could be that, it could be anything. So this world with all its rigidity and all its natural limitations and separations and divisions, everything has its unique character, characteristic traits and nature, and it's set in stone. All of this comes about because of the symptom, because the energy is hidden and concealed. And only a little minuscule portion of that energy is revealed. That portion that, that activates us, creates us, that portion that's within us, that pervades us, but that portion, since it's totally concealed, therefore only that little portion is revealed. Everyone according to their own level. So the stone remains a stone, and the tree remains a tree, and the animal remains an animal, and the human being remains a human being, etc. But were the infinite light to pervade all of reality, then all bets are off. They wouldn't have the same rigidity, wouldn't have the same limitation. That's what happened when Abraham, the very first Jew, when he was thrown into the fire. What happened when Abraham was thrown into the fire? Because he refused to worship idols. He, right, he stood there for three days, he walked around, it was a garden of Eden for him, it was a paradise. Trees grew, he strolled around, the fire not only didn't touch him, it was like beautiful. The king couldn't believe it, the fire was so hot, anyone standing nearby were, were burnt alive. Abraham miraculously, fire. Fire's been touched. It was cool. It was like air conditioned. <laughs> How do you walk through fire and live, survive through fire for seventy-two hours? But, but who says fire has to burn? Fire burns when fire is rigid. Fire burns, and water—you drown in water. But that's only when everything is defined and rigid. But Abraham was in touch with the infinite. Abraham spend, dedicated his whole life to re, through his self-sacrifice to reveal, he reciprocated God's love for him and he, res, and he revealed the infinite into this world. He went back to the origin. Once you reveal the infinite, then all bets are off. Nature, what nature? Who says fire has to burn? Who says fire has to burn? When the Valshamtev. The used to um, love light. And one time the lights, he ran out of light. So he told the students, it was in the middle of winter, a European winter, uh, you know, Russian winter, uh, Eastern European winter. He says, Take the icicles, pieces of ice, bring them to the synagogue, and we'll light the icicles. The same God that says that the wood should burn, the icicles will burn. Who says icicles? Who says only, uh, only? as, as Rabbi ben says, the one who said his wife ran out of oil? He says, Whoever said that oil should burn, will say that, that vinegar should burn. Who says, who says only oil has to burn? Vinegar will also burn. When you are miraculous, when your whole life is miraculous, when, your whole, when you're connected with the infinite light, when you're connected with the infinite, the ore and saf, with Hashem Himself, then nature, what nature? There's no rigidity. And what we're discovering today, the revolution of today, incredible revolution, and this, is, this is a harbinger of Mashiach, that they're able to extract stem cells from mature cells. They don't need this whole controversy of using stem cells. It's, you know, it's morally questionable to take from the, you know, from the stem cells. But they're able now to take cells, fully formed cells, and go back in time. Bring them back to their level, to their origin, when they were stem cells. And they're, therefore, they're able to create anything from those cells. So this is the amazing ability, which we all have, the ability of to do Teshuvah. That even as adults, and even we're already formulated, and we're rigid, and we're stuck, and we're already formed, and we're adults, and it's so hard to change. But nevertheless, Hashem empowered us. We have the ability to go back to that beginning, to that innocence. Touch the infinite. And therefore we can recreate, we can change our whole life around, upside down 180 degrees, we can completely transform our lives around from negative to positive, from bitter to sweet from sin to mitzvah because once you go back to the infinite to the origin, all bets are off it's completely undefined and infinite But so that's what he's saying had this infinite light been revealed then there would be no rigidity, They wouldn't have any of these division, these rigid divisions and limitations then we would not be finite, we would all be infinite It's only because God had to completely hide and conceal his energy and only reveal a minuscule part of the energy, the tip of the tip of the iceberg. That's the energy that we feel animating us and creating us, the energy that we absorb, that we're able to feel. Therefore, we have all these divisions and we have all these uh, separations.
0: This light and vitality uh, that is revealed within them after the contraction constitutes, an infinitesimal illumination and is truly considered as known when compared with the quality of the limitless and infinite infinite illumination and there, there is no reference or relation between them which means they are not quantitatively different not even immensely different in quantity but of a wholly different and incomparable
1: quality. There's no comparison. You can't even compare. You can compare two items. A huge item, a small item. Uh, You could compare a zillion with one. Okay, it's very far, it's very distant. But nevertheless, it's still comparative. You're in the same family. A zillion is made up of a zillion ones. So you can add one to a zillion, you can take off one from a zillion. So there's some connection, there's some relationship. Infinite and finite, there's no relationship. You can't even compare, there's nothing to compare. It's, it's, it's not even in the same family, it's not in the same category. Like he'll say that a zillion and one, a zillion is not one iota closer to infinity than one. It's not like I'm getting closer, I have a huge number, so I'm getting closer to infinity. There's no connection. There's no, there's no relationship. You can't even relate. It's, a, it's as if it doesn't exist. It's nothing. I can't even say it doesn't exist. There's no connection. There's nothing even to compare. There's zero connection from infinity to finite. So how do you get from the infinite to the finite? From the infinite light to the finite energy? There's no comparison. Had the infinite light been revealed, there would be no comparison to existence the way it is today. The existence the way it is today, which is finite, defined, limited, categorized. All of this existence as we know it today would not be possible had the infinite light been revealed. And we wouldn't even have anything to compare it to. There's no comparison.
0: As the term proportion is understood in the number per value, where the number one stands in a certain ratio to the number one billion for it is a one millionth part of it. The sum of one million is merely the sum of one million once. Subtract but one, and the million ceases to exist. A clear demonstration of the revelation that subsides between one and one million. But as regards thing which transcends uh, finitude and numeration, there is no number, however great, that can be relative to it. For a billion and a trillion... When compared to, to infinite, do not even attain the relevancy of the value of one comparison with a billion or a trillion.
1: He's using a quote from the Nishmat, from the prayer we say, Shabbos morning. Yes. And it says that even elef, alafim, ribid, vavis, even if it was tens of thousands or or, or or a billion or a trillion, he's not coming to limit only a billion or trillion, any number, even a zillion, he's just using... An expression from prayer. But just like a billion, a trillion, one and a billion, a trillion has some relationship. But a billion, a trillion relationship to infinite, there's no relationship. There's zero relationship. There's no, there's no comparison. You can't even compare. You can, it's as if it doesn't exist. It has no value whatsoever.
0: For the sum of one retains some degree of relevance, even when compared to a trillion. It is, in fact, one trillionth of it. Well, even a sum as large as a trillion has no relevance at all when compared to the realm of the infinite.
1: But okay. There's nothing. As That's nothing. why there had to be the Tum, Because the infinite light, there's no way you can get from infinity to finite. No matter how much you screen, no matter how many gradations you go through, there's just no relationship. So, you know, you can you can try to diminish the infinite and try to screen it and make it... But even even no matter how many steps, even infinite steps, you're still left with infinite. So how do you leap from infinite to finite? There's no comparison, there's no relationship, there's no connection. So there had to be a tzimtzum. So the God's infinite light, there had to be a tzimtzum in order to emanate from within that infinite light, a tiny light, a small light. And even that light was too intense. Even that light had to be further screened and go through a whole process and procedure of Timtum after timtum after timtum until it creates the various different worlds. Just like within our world, you have the different various levels of life. You have a stone, which has the minimal level of all, its whole life is that it exists. There's no movement, there's no change, there's no growth. Then you have a higher form of life, the plant life, organic life. Then you have the uh, animal life, then you have the human life. So all of these are different expressions of life, different levels of symptom. The, the energy is more screened or less screened. But all of it had to come about through symptom Because without symptom, if the infinite godly light was revealed, not only God's essence, but God's infinite light that he emanated from within himself, if that was revealed then life as we know it, existence as we know it, could not exist. We would be completely nullified before God, inseparable, and one with God. This class is part of the Lessons
0: in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.